Welcome to the Leadership Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Jono White. I'm the founder and principal consultant of Clarity. We are an Australian-based consultancy that works with leaders around the world, and our passion is to invest in people to become everything they're meant to be in order to fill the world with healthy organizations that people love to work for and customers line up to buy from. The goal of this podcast is to invest in you and your leadership. If you're just joining us for the first time, then feel free to check out consultclarity.org. That's our website, consultclarity.org. We have so many free resources on there, the most popular being our seven questions on leadership series. We've had more than 1,500 leaders from around the world in all different sectors give their in-depth answers on leadership, what books they love, what they found most challenging, uh, the most meaningful stories, how they how they structure their time through the day. That's free, so go and check it out. And we'd love to interview you about your leadership. I believe you have advice from your experience, your context, and your life so far that is important and can help other leaders. It's also a great way to give back. It's free to get involved, and you can do so by going to consultclarity.org forward slash seven dash questions dash interest, or just Google consultclarity.org seven questions interest and fill out the form that pops up. We have a free resource for you on our website. It's called Leadership Survival Guide. It's a 57-page ebook. It has interviews with 10 world-class leaders, and you can go to consultclarity.org. It's right at the top and get that today. Uh, We also have a daily email that we send out to over 15,000 leaders, and that email contains the highlights, our best content from our podcasts, our blog, uh, my book, uh, the books that we're loving that are out there about leadership, It's also the best way to get access to our masterclasses and workshops before anyone else. And there's also exclusive and limited uh, special options just for subscribers. And you can subscribe by going to consultclarity.org forward slash subscribe. Now, my gift to you is to work incredibly hard to provide the best leadership content I can to invest in you and your leadership. So if you're finding our content helpful, if you find this podcast helpful, then your gift to me uh, could be this. If you if you do find it helpful, then write a review or rate our content and make sure you subscribe or follow. I can't emphasize enough how helpful that is. It really does help us to get the word out there so we can invest in more leaders to become everything they're meant to be. It also means a lot to me personally when people like you and people in our community share our content on social media. So if you do that, then please do look for me, Jono White, to tag me and look to tag Clarity uh, on whatever platform you're on. And our team, including me, I'm always looking to see when people have mentioned us so that I can engage with you. And also we look at sharing content. So if if you write something about something we've done, there's also a good chance we'll share that with our followers. So if you could do that, that is a massive, massive help as we try to invest in as many leaders as we can around the world. Last of all, you can check out my book about how to deal with difficult people even if you hate conflict. It's called Step Up or Step Out. It's available on Amazon. You can just look up Step Up or Step Out John O'White or you can go to store.consultclarity.org forward slash book and check it out there. I 
have coached leader after leader after leader and in more than 50% of the sessions, this topic comes up. How do I deal with this person? I'm finding it really difficult and, and I just want to find a way that doesn't blow up to do a really, just to have a difficult conversation, to lead them better. How do I do that? There's a three-step process that I outline in this book that I believe can help you. Okay, let's get into today's episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast. Enjoy. Welcome to another episode of Leadership Conversations podcast. I'm John O'White and I'm really excited for today's guest from the UK. It's always good to mix up the accent so you're not just listening to uh, to my Aussie accent. Uh, but we have a great uh, UK ex- uh, accent coming on with me, and it's um, Matthew Singleton. Matthew, thank you for for joining me on the podcast. Thanks, John. Thanks for inviting me. I think, um, as always, it would be great initially. I'll ask you about your story in a second, but do you want to just give a bit of a, uh, I guess, explain to people the the role that you have and the organisation and and the type of work you do at the moment? Yeah, that's great. Um, so currently I work for a company called OLR. Um, we're a Oracle Gold partner. We're globally distributed in, in, in seven locations. Um, we do a mixture of um, retail, omni, and uh, managed services and e-commerce. So uh, in effect, we're, we're retail focused and, uh, and we can do everything for, for that retail company. So literally from the point of sales, in, in the physical store, all the way through inventory, to your website, to the to analytics, we're, we're quite specialized in that area. But my role within that company is, is I'm the COO um, and, and I head up multiple departments, legal, HR, um, finance, uh, and, um, uh, and operations. Um, from a governance and process point of view, so I have I have lots of hats in there. I also head up uh, managed services. I've been been in that role for for a while, helping out there. Um, we are looking for a for a head of managed services at the moment because um, <laughs> I've got a day job as a COO. <laughs> That's right. You mentioned uh, before we before we started recording that you wear a few hats, and that was um I should have uh, I should have timed how long it took you to explain all the different hats you wear. That was. <laughs> That, that is that is a list, uh, and you know what? It'll be great for someone like like me, honestly, coming from uh, you know Brisbane in in Queensland over here in Australia, and and not knowing too much about OLR. Can you give and and for any other listeners out there from any part of the world where they're maybe not familiar? So you mentioned seven locations around the world. Is that right? Yep, seven. Uh, it was and, actually originally founded in Australia, OLR, but it's it's expanded and moved out of. Um, of Australia, but it's mainly based in uh, the UK is where our head office is. Uh, Porto, we've got a we've got an office in Porto. Porto is a lovely city. If you get the chance, go to there. Uh, the US got a big presence in the US. That's very popular at the moment. Um, Singapore, um, uh, India, and then some other places, North America, uh, Canada, um, and some some in Mexico as well. And you mentioned um, HR comes under your role as operations. Is that right? It does, yep. Yeah. Yep. And which, so what's is, the, which is good fun. What's the footprint in terms of how many staff do you have across the world? Uh, just out of interest, to give people a bit of an idea of, of what uh, you know, what what you're sort of working with around the around the world. I like to sort of paint the picture of the organisation for those like me who enjoy imagining an organisation structure. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, we're about 230 currently. Um, we've we've got we've got nearly 40 open positions, uh, which is you know challenging in its own right for for an organisation of our size. We're, we're expanding at the moment, um, mainly uh, I think. Uh, any, anywhere between 100 and 110 in India at any one time, yep. and the rest is um, split between uh, UK, US, and Portugal are our main main areas. Yeah. Okay. Fantastic. No, that's that's really helpful. Thank you for for unpacking that. I I have to admit your your industry is an industry that I don't have too much experience in. So I know for me, I'm really interested to chat about leadership because I love. Uh, learning about how how industries that I've, I don't have as much experience in attack um, the same leadership principles, right? That are, that are universal and um, and uh, so yeah, it's it's great to have you on. Let's talk about uh, I guess Matthew, the leader. If you look back, tell us a bit of the story of how you I guess how you came to be the leader that you are in the in the role that you're in. Um, but just the sort of the overarching story, Matthew Singleton's story of leadership. Yeah, um, you know, you say you, you you're not familiar with the industry I'm in. I, I wasn't until about ten years ago. Prior to that, I had a, you know, I'd, I'd been in banking literally from from when I left school. So I'd had a good twenty five years in banking. Um, so my journey to where I am was is probably unconventional. Um, I went into uh, IBD International Banking Division, went straight out of school. Um, which was great, you know. Back in the day, we we physically handled checks and we had to take them to the clearing houses, and it was you know very very interesting. I wouldn't say that's had a, a huge impact on my leadership style though. And um, and I, I spent, as I say, a long time in banking in IT um, within banking. And you know, for me, there's 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 a bit of a you get very specialised in in a, in a very large organisation, and when you're very good at one thing you get specialized even more. So towards the end of my career in banking, um, you know, I was, I was in technology in a specific area um, and was pretty well pigeonholed. So it's very hard to, to, to make the, the, the step from technical to leadership or to team lead or management within, uh, within banking. When you're, when you're highly technical, um, there's also a huge churn rate within, Within banking, especially within with IT, and it's it's very much seen as a as a cost rather than an enabler. Um, and I, yeah, I I sort of came to understand that. And, and I think at one point I'd my last four years within I uh, worked at Citigroup, I'd, I'd had seven managers, and the churn of manager and being able to um, you know impress your manager and and demonstrate hey I can do the next step was was really tough, really really hard. So. Back in about 2008, I think I, I led a team, um, and again they were they were based in different regions, which was a, which was a good learning point. But I'd really come to the to the end of wanting to work for you know huge huge organisations, 370,000 people within within one organisation is a is a big company, um, and, and I'd worked within small teams within there, um, and I and I heard you know that interaction so. When I, when I left Citigroup back in you know 2007 2008 whatever it was there was a you know there was a I, I wanted a change um, and I wanted to manage people I wanted to manage teams um, 
and I had the technology, but I didn't want to go back into banking and do banking technology. I wanted something different. Um, and I found myself at a um, company called Rank. Um, uh, may not be, may not remember them, but they, you know, they did Mecha Bingo. They did uh, Growing the Casinos. They used to do lots of films yeah. back in back in the day. They used to do photocopiers. So they transitioned a lot, but they, they're quite big in the UK. Um, and and it was on the e-commerce side, uh, so I was able to pick up the the e-com side of of technology quite easily. Uh, I had a background in Microsoft, and and there I got you know it was a conscious decision to literally say I'm not technical. You know I had to had to hide the fact I was technical to to not get pushed back down that route of hey you know can you do this can you fix this can you can you design this or whatever it was because yeah. um and it was also my career path i i recognized that to become a cto you sort of had to to have been a developer there was a big call you know everything's web based now um you know with the internet's a big thing it's it's you know it's applications it's internet of things but it's very much all this is based on what do you understand the architecture of these things can you push them forward so the cto cto role for me didn't seem feasible i felt there was a glass ceiling getting to that unless i you know went in to be a bit more of a, a developer full time and then the cii role was probably one that i thought you know that's something i could aim for um and so it was hey i'm i'm going to drop the the technical part but then again there was also the operations side which is very much uh do you understand all the parts of the business do you understand the business as well as how people work within that within the business yeah. um can you be that conduit between the different departments and i'd always found that that was something i was able to do um and and I'd enjoyed it, and you know maybe some of it was born out of experience of of you know the length of time I've been in been in work or whatever. So um, I, I really pushed when I was at um, at rank for to manage teams and not to be seen as technical. And you know I don't want to offend anybody here that's technical um, that is listening. That's great if that's where you want to go. You know um, you know push towards the CIO or the CTO role and focus on that. Um, and then once I'd, I'd been at rank for a while, um, again, I, I wanted to, I felt there needed to be a change to, to get to what I wanted to do. And then I, I, I applied to work in a company called E2X. Um, yeah. E2X, again, was Oracle Gold Partner. E2X actually bought OLR. So I went into E2X as a operations manager. Um, it was to oversee a lot of the um, e-com solutions we provided for for their clients. You know, I came on board, did that. and within smaller companies you get more of an opportunity to demonstrate your capabilities and that's thing one thing i i, I found straight away e2x you know, there was only about 100 people there at the time um was that actually i was getting involved in a lot of things because i was able to de demonstrate that i could have an impact my decision making process worked um, i was able to take on more responsibility because in a company that size, you do have to wear um, several hats, regardless regardless of what position you're in. Um, and then and then we we bought OLR. Uh, it was very much a, an organic acquisition for E2X. OLR complemented 
um, E2X in terms of what they could bring. It wasn't, hey, let's just uh, expand our client base. It was, what does OLR have that E2X doesn't and put the two together and um, you know we, we grow to a size that was that was you know better worked for both companies so we purchased them and then i moved from e2x to olr so even though i may be you know an olr person now uh, for the last three four years three years whatever i've you know my total time at the company is seven eight years so when i went into olr you know i'm not, I'm not gonna sugarcoat it there was a lot of work that needed to be done and um and i came across as coo to help you know facilitate that and make those changes happen yeah incredible thank you for thank you for sharing that something that uh, jumped out at me when you were at citibank what was your technical specialty <laughs> there's, there's probably not over i was um uh, microsoft based so you could probably say i was a wintel engineer but what I specialized while I was in the bank was uh, at the end, because I was there about 14 years, yeah. was managing the desktop. Um, and that doesn't sound much, but <laughs> when I put numbers against, you know, an organization of that size, yeah. we used to have applications that people could request and they would put them on your desktop. Yeah. Um, so there was a build process. For that. So you needed the, the, the previous version in case you had to roll back and then you needed the new version of what you requested. But we had 3,400 applications. So there needs to be a build process and a governance process around those. And then there needs to be a process of getting them on the desktop. So yeah. uh, we needed the, the capabilities of that. So I managed that um, within uh, within Europe, Mia, where I was based, you know, I I'd looked after 70,000 desktops. So you know, it's, it's, you know, they're, they're huge numbers. And then I wrote some, uh, a couple of bits of software within, um, that framework of the desktop that was rolled out to all of the desktops. So 370,000 desktops had a couple of bits of software that I wrote and I could manage it, all the desktops from my PC. Um, so it was a bit of a scary thought. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and you know this is a bit of a story i have uh I, I wrote some software you know maybe what is it maybe 12 13 14 years ago that could put all the the machines to sleep or turn them off because everyone used to used to just leave their the machines on all the time and that alone in emir would have saved the company eight million pounds a year in electricity bills you know globally it was it was around about 23 million but one of the, one of the funny bits was i was writing this software that could control it so what we used to do is we'd we'd have these times where you'd have to power down the building you know you'd have to do a, a dr test or you'd have to check that the the um the generators could kick in and, and switch over and what we didn't want was everything to just just be switched off you know literally by the switch so i wrote the software which could turn off our building in effect so what we do is previously we'd send some, you know a couple of people around to run around the whole entire building we used to get about five or six people and they would switch off the machines so i wrote this software that could switch off all the machines which doesn't which sounds like good until you realize that hey i can sit at home and switch off three hundred and seventy thousand desktops in push of a button and um while I was writing this software, you know, I asked for a, um, you know, a, a zone which was only me, no one else, and a load of desktops. And um, they said, no, 
you gotta you gotta write it and uh maybe this is why i never became a developer that you know on the friday night i was testing this one bit and i went home and on the monday i came in and carried on work and i clicked the button and i thought this this isn't doing what i thought it was going to do and uh, i turned off an entire floor instantly um so you know you know there's a lesson to be learned definitely definitely give someone a, a, a playground to play in and uh you know no one noticed though everyone thought it was a, a power glitch it was that good <laughs> you know 16 <laughs> machines instantly that's so i did own up to it i did, did tell everyone you know yeah oh that must they be never gave me a playground to play in though that's right. That's right. <laughs> There's that bit where you just think, oh, no. why isn't that doing what I thought it was going to do? Yeah, yeah. And then the oh, blood drains out of you completely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Uh, so I guess for you as a leader, in terms of the leader that you are today, what, what are some of the stories if you think back? Um, you know, what comes to mind as, as maybe one of the stories that, that was part of shaping you really impacted you to shape you into who you are today as a leader. You know, are there any, any times that come to mind might have been when you were younger and, and uh, uh, volunteering or, you know, uh, in, in, in school um, or in, in early work or more recently? Um, what comes to mind uh, for you, Matthew? Uh, I suppose, you know, what sort of a leader am I? Um, how has it affected me? What have I seen along the way? Have I picked up little things if I go along? Is there, is there one, you know, I've, I've got a few stories of of stuff that you you think that's incredible. Yes. Um, would that really happen? Would that happen today? Uh, would you, you know, how would you react? Um, I, I, I like to think of myself as empathetic, you know, a critical thinker, someone that will, will view everything from, from, every angle before before i give my answer but i also like to think that you know i might not have the life experiences of the person that's that's got the issues but mm. i think you know it's self-reflective where you, you're some of some of the parts where you know what what gets me out of bed in the morning what makes me deliver what did i respond to um i think would would make me a, a leader it is is how i've i've tried to view things i'm you know uh, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not stubborn, um, mm. but I, I. I like to believe in what I'm doing, um, yeah. and, and I think people respond to, you know, I believe where we're going, um, mm. and that's that's the bit that that has has probably worked for me. But you know, what shaped me, you know, when I think about all the people I've worked with, worked for, that have led me, um, you know, I've, you know, I've worked with. I always think there's there's people that you can you can point at and say you know they're brilliant or they're exceptional and you come across them once every five years once every ten years they really stand out mm. head and shoulders um, and I had a, a manager um, very early on in my career in the bank uh, Tom Delves um, and you know he was just, he was a great guy and, and and he really seemed to understand people don't get me right I do. I fully appreciate that there's the you're on the side of the people that that work for you and you're leading mm. and you've got your responsibilities commercially to the company mm. and the two are very separate um but as a, as a people person somebody you wanted to follow tom was that person mm. um, and he he really understood stood the people that work and, and he 
treated everybody with respect and he treated everyone as individuals mm. um you know and you felt that he really did care you know maybe he did maybe he did but you know <laughs> i did get that and i remember um you know i was very young at the time 16 17 and um he told me a story so the first time i had a long lunch and you know don't blame me here Jono, but you know back in banking there, there was a drinking culture in those times i wasn't the only person you know yeah. it was about it you know long lunches were a thing you know yeah. and i look yeah. back now and think I, I don't know how i survived um and when i first you know when i when 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 i first worked for tom i, I moved internally and and i'd i'd you know, you know maybe this is a story i'd been recognized within the bank of having a talent at a at, you know maybe being able to be a good developer and, and i was put forward mm. for a um a test I, I didn't know none of this had been told to me i didn't know that i'd been uh found and and i did this test and it was at the time to become a developer on um cash machines cash machines quite new then uh, yeah. i suppose what you call atms yes. um and and I hadn't been told this. So they just said, look, you need to go for this test. So I went along to this test, came back and, um, and it turned out I'd passed this test. No one, had, no one had told me this, no one, you know, and, and my boss at the time had, he, he you know, he'd taken exception to me, shall we say, and mm. he'd turned down the opportunity on my behalf. So I hadn't been told, you know, that they'd mm. sent me through, they'd sent a request saying, Hey, we want Matthew to come and work in this department. You know, he shows an aptitude for it, and um, and it got turned down. There was an actual letter saying, you know, Matthew, you know, I've spoken to him. He doesn't want to do this. Thank you very much. So when I worked for Tom, he, you know, at the interview, he said that I want to take you on, and uh, you know, I think you're a good guy. And he said, I've been told you're a beast to manage. Um, and so he said, I was expecting a, you know, a 200 pound gorilla to walk through the door. And he said, you're not. And he said, you know, <laughs> I like you. And, it, and he actually slid the letter over to me. He said, look, I'm going to tell you right now, your previous manager turned down this job opportunity for you. You know, he said, I wouldn't have done that. I'm letting you see it just so you know. Um, and it was, you know, straight away from the start, you know, he had my respect because he, he treated me like an adult. You know, I was only 16, yeah. 17 at the time. And 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 I thought, you know, this guy trusts me. And, and before I'd, you know, turned up on day one, I trust Tom. Mm. Um, and, you know, he was he was a great guy to work for. And, the, you know, I, I don't want to spend the whole hour talking about Tom, but he told me, you know, the first long lunch we went for, he took me out for a long lunch. And he said, look, here's a story. The first, you know, my first job I went to, boss took me out first day, went for a long lunch. We got back, we'd had a couple of beers. We'd been out for a couple of hours. And I sat down at my desk and my boss called me back in. And he said, I'm giving you a verbal warning for taking a long lunch. <laughs> and you go, hold on. I went to lunch with you. And uh, he said, this, you know, as much as this is a verbal warning, it's going on your HR record. This is also a life lesson. Do not trust anyone. And you sort of look back and you go, wow, that's that's harsh. <laughs> you know, how do you react to that? But it's, you know, Tom told me that story. And it was like, you know, Tom was telling, you know, as much as, you know, I really liked Tom, we, we, you know, he was he was probably saying, don't trust me either, but don't trust anyone. He, you know, I think he took me under his wing a bit. I think it was yeah. more of that story. Uh, that's just uh, that's just a fantastic story. <laughs> he takes him out for a long mm. lunch and gives him a warning. See, you shouldn't have even trusted him. <laughs> um, it's interesting yeah. though. I I love reflecting on people like people like Tom because I think 
the leaders, you know, for any leaders who are listening, and, you know, I know this is very true of me, you know, we we want to leave a legacy like Tom. We want people to look back and say, oh, that's right. I remember when I worked for um, Matthew, when I worked for Jono, you know, that, you know, we. so I, I, I love hearing stories about people like Tom. Um, like you said, we, we won't spend the whole whole time talking about him, but I'm interested to know, yeah. as you think back, what, what was it that, you mentioned a couple of things, but was there anything else that stood out that he did in how he treated you, in how he led you, in how he met with you that you would point to and go, I think that was really, uh, that was another reason as to why I, you know, why he comes to mind and why he was, he was, uh, you know, you really trusted him so much. Um, Tom, he, he, he is honesty. I think is honesty and he had the ability to on an individual basis with everyone in his team to, to find out what made them perform what made them tick things he, he didn't do the same thing with everything everybody yeah um, he, he he recognized people I'm not stressed i don't want to say that he'd recognized what needed to be done to allow that person to perform um you know back in whenever this was you didn't work that you couldn't work from home that there was there wasn't the ability to work from home you, you couldn't remote into work you know that there, that technology just did, did not exist then but he would he would quarantine people from the outside world should we say mm. Mm. To, to enable them to function and, and he would recognize that very early on uh, in people um, through how others were working with them interacting with them i just think he he had a, 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 a huge natural empathy and understood the the place people were in within their job yeah that's um i, I like how you unpack that and i think it's it's it always surprises me how often honesty comes up because I think we underestimate how we assume that being honest, um, you know, that people don't want honesty. There's some part of us that we go, well, maybe it's because it's just uncomfortable to be honest sometimes. And yet I, I just hear it so often that people who've had great experiences with leaders talk about how they were honest, how they knew that they they knew where they stood. That's something that people often talk about. Oh, yeah, I really know where I stand. And uh, and I think that's a challenge, definitely for me anyway, in, in my leadership, is to lead uh, with more honesty. So, no, thank you. Thank you. That was that was a really, um, really rich story, Matthew. I appreciate you sharing that. Um, I think so, honesty is one of the pillars of trust. Mm. And, you know, I think the worst thing you can do with a leader or, or you know, anybody you work with, you lose the trust. If you lose trust, that relationship is is it's negative, isn't it? It's, it's, mm. it's not going to work in the long run. It's so hard to come back from as well if you do, if you do lose that yeah. trust. Um, so for you, because I, I noticed as well that you talked a, a, quite a lot about wanting to lead people and manage teams. Um, and that was something that you were drawn to, and and so much of that is trust. So I guess if we stay with this with this topic, what have you learned about building trust? What have you learned about building teams? Now that you have been doing it a, a while, you know you're you've been 
you've had the chance. You you went from banking into this um, smaller organization where you had more opportunity to to really uh, you know I guess uh, jump in there and 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 so from all of this, including your time in banking, what what have you learned about trust and about building teams? I think building teams, you know. I think one of my strengths is building high performance teams, teams that do deliver. Mm. Um, and maybe that's why I'm in the, the the role I am is that I can mold teams. I think I can, you know, yeah. I, I like to think I can. And the, the, my personal view, what I'd strive for key, I don't like huge teams. I prefer smaller teams mm. where everyone is you know, fully qualified, overqualified, maybe you've mm. got the best people in that position and you work as a team. Everybody understands what we're trying to deliver and why we're trying to deliver it. And, and you know, that you, you got to be honest there. Um, you can you can dress it up, but eventually people will see through that. If they don't buy into what you're delivering they won't have the the enthusiasm. So there's several parts of this, you know, high performing teams. Um, and what you'll find as well, it depends what industry you're in, um, what level the teams are. Um, and, and no offense, the, the education level of, of those within a team. One yeah. thing that I learned quite early on was people with degrees uh, at some stage in their life have, have been validated their opinions been validated that they've written something and and some very highly qualified people have read it and said you're right so <laughs> it's not like you know they've answered a question you know that they've done research they, they've been validated and people yes. with degrees are more likely to want to have an opinion that's heard that they're going to want to be um listened to so yeah, you have to, for me, high performing teams, if it is people with degrees or highly educated people, if that's industry, they need to be involved in the decision making. I, I have absolutely no issue with everybody else making decisions, as long as they're the right decisions, obviously. Um, so, you know, put it out there, get the people involved. Um, and if you've got a, a team, a smaller team, you can have those discussions. Don't get me wrong. I don't think, you know, good decisions are ever made by a committee, but people need to be listened to that. They have to have their input into that, into into what you're trying to deliver. I'm also a big believer of I don't, I don't want to force people to into, into the job. You know, don't don't turn up, you know, day on day. You know, don't don't. One of my one of the things I tell people that uh, I work with or work for me is, you know, how do you feel Sunday night? You know, do, do you look forward to getting up on the morning? You don't need to, you know, don't get me wrong. You don't have to look forward to it, but don't, don't fear Monday mornings. Don't dread them. If you're mm. dreading it, you know, go and find something else, really. Go and yeah. find something you're, you're, you're interested in, you're excited about, you, you want to do because, you know, it's, it's eight, nine hours a day, minimum five days a week. It's a big chunk of your life. Um, mm. So, you know, really, really do that. Um, 
uh, you know that's and if you get those people in your team that they are getting up monday morning because they want to do it that's half the battle already you know they're coming into work they're skipping into work they want to be there they'll they'll be they'll buy because you're they're probably doing something they want to do um so I, I find that i you know try to be genuine with people and you know genuine honesty trust those things that we're probably going to go around circle on uh, and that's that's the teams that i try to build mm. and you can recognize it in people that they're they're in a role that it's not right for them that it's not that they're no good at their role it's mm. you know they haven't got a smile on their face it's not what they want to do mm. and yes there are periods of any career where you you got to do stuff you don't want to do or you may have a, a role you don't want to do but it's i'm talking about overall you know is this a it's a six month thing is it a, you know have you been unhappy mm. in in your in this position for for years are you hanging on you know are you just mm. looking for your redundancy are you just looking for your you know retirement are you just looking for you know a way out it you know, you know go and find something go and do it brush up that cv and, and i yeah. would give I, I do give people that advice that are actively working for me you know keep mm. your cv up to date i know that sounds hideous but <laughs> you know don't don't wait three four years and then say you know i don't want to be here keep it up to date all the time and that's not a hey get up and run but it's you know it's 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 a way of making you feel that you know i'm part of this organization but you know I, i'm also myself outside of it and mm. where's my career going is this where i want to be um so you know you, you don't want to hang on to people that don't want to be there even if they're brilliant you know I, I'd prefer someone's happy and working elsewhere than the miserable and working for me. I um, I don't want to be that boss that you're you've you know you dread speaking to on a Monday morning. Yeah, I, I love that perspective. I've I haven't thought about it that way before, um, and it's a really yeah. I think it's a very refreshing perspective because what it says to and I can imagine that it would be endearing for people who are who are leading up to that perspective because it says I actually care more about you than, uh, you know, I, I care equally about you and your happiness as I do with us achieving what we want to achieve. I think those things both can be achieved and whether, and, and I think, um, I think sometimes we, we do, it is easy to go, Oh, it would be such a hassle for me to find someone else rather than to, to, to let go of that and go, actually, no, this person, this person deserves to enjoy what they're doing and um, how can I encourage them in that? Even if that means encouraging them to brush up their CV and saying, if you're not enjoying this then find something you really enjoy and, and being a support to them. That's really profound. Uh, one thing I want to zoom in on yeah. that you mentioned was about um, getting people involved in the decision-making. How do you do that? You know, if you say you've got someone listening and they, they have a team of people, uh, particularly who maybe are highly educated, and so their ears are sort of, <laughs> they're going, oh, that's really interesting. <laughs> um, what does it look like when you've got a team of highly educated people and, and you are running a process? Like I'm talking, how do you do that in meetings? How do you do that in terms of project management, making decisions so that you're involving them in, in the decision-making process? A good question. I think, I think, work start with the worst case scenario here what what, mm. what, what do you do you know what do you think would be the worst place to get decisions made what, what do you think that would be where do you think that would be oh uh, well i would say uh 
the if if decisions are made oh i don't know maybe the highest if if they're just made solely at the highest level without the right information that would be potentially bad but it would also be you also don't want to be running a um a consensus where it's just you know everyone's just making any decision you do want alignment um <laughs> i don't know if i answered that so, question so i think the worst place to get decisions made made is universities everybody around the table has a phd <laughs> can you imagine how hard that would be everyone is super convinced they are right yeah you know yeah. so you've got to work back from there you think well we don't have all phds here so uh, nothing gets phd i looked at doing mine um, yeah. but it's you know hey we haven't got the challenge they've got. So, you know, be thankful you're not, unless anybody <laughs> listening to this is on the board of a, of a university, then I, I, you know, I feel sorry for you. Um, but, you know, you draw it back, you know, what are, what are we trying to do? What are we trying to achieve here? What What is the decision we're making? That's the other bit as well, you know, what yeah. is the size of the decision you're making? Is it a strategic decision? Is it a plan? You know, a lot of people um, I find confuse the two. You know, when you mm. ask for a strategy, they give you a plan. You know, strategy. If it's a strategy decision, decision, then there's a there's only a level that can be made at. You know, that's mm. uh, you know, that's an accountable. If this doesn't work, you know, not the company's in trouble, but you're you know you're betting the company on it to a degree, and then sure. and then you're drawing it back from what what are these decisions? You know, if if I if I'm talking from a technology perspective. Um, mm -hmm. It's a, you know, it's an architectural decision. Then you're going to have people slightly more qualified, but it's always good to get, you know, people around a table. Let's chuck it up. You know, you can't, can't get away from a whiteboard. All right, we might not all be sitting around tables now. You know, a metaphorical whiteboard. Hash it out. <laughs> what are the decisions? Don't be precious about the decisions. That's, that's one thing for me as well. Uh, sometimes it's better to, to to get the decisions done and start working towards them. Um, and 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 be able to change tack if you need to along the way. Hey, we made the wrong decision, but mm. we know where we want to get to. You know, the the destination is far more important than the journey. That's, I don't know, maybe that's not right, but you know what I mean. An emergent strategy says we yeah. know where we want to go. How we mm. get there may change, and I, yes. I'm I'm on board with that. Don't be precious. And when you when you when you've made those decisions and you've you've included people in it. Don't be afraid of dropping that decision or, or, or overruling. But, you know, one thing, you, you know, what you may find is that you've gone in, you know what, and it's a human nature, you know what you want out of that meeting and, and don't steer it. Um, mm. you, you may let people come up with your decision and you give them credit for it. Mm. Regardless that you may have made that decision before you walked into the meeting. Um, you know, obviously don't do that every time, um, but, you know, and listen to people. And another part of, I think, leadership and, a, a, you know, I don't want to say empathetic, but mm. why people make their decisions will will help you understand how they've got to that decision. So, you know, I've talked about technology. We spoke about HR in the beginning. HR is it's, it's a very, very complex um, it's not complicated. It's complex. You know, there's a difference. It's a complex <laughs> job. What one decision you make doesn't have the same output every single time. 
you, you may do the same thing, you know, 20 times and it's fine. And then the 21st time in HR, you know, you, you cause issues. It's, you know, that's why it's not complicated. If it's complicated, you'd make the right, you'd make the same decision. You'd get the same outcome. You don't get that with HR. So, you know, mm. we can sit around and, and, and make decisions, you know, group wide decisions that we feel, Hey, we've got to treat everyone the same way. And, you know, no good deed goes unpunished because you you do what you think is right for everybody. You put it out there, and you upset some people. You know, one mm. region could be absolutely ecstatic with your decision, and another region is hugely offended or unhappy, or you know, there's grumblings. But they're all made from the single point and for the right reasons. You know, we're not. No one's trying. You have to recognise. No one's trying to make a bad decision. Mm. Um, and then you've got to be, sometimes you've just got to let everybody else lead it. Um, you're in that room. You may be the most senior person in there, but let other people take the reins and run with it. And sometimes you can even turn up and meet and say, right, you know, point at someone, you're running this meeting today. You know, the mm. decision is going to be down to you because you can still override those decisions if you want to. You've still got the, you know, the casting vote, as it were, as the, the most senior person in the room. But I do like to, to, to get people in there and, and enjoying it and making decisions. And you get to see other, other points of view. You know, what, what's the point in telling everyone? It, it'd be boring if we did that. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I like how you mentioned coming in with an idea, but then seeing people... Um, you know, letting letting people actually come to that result. I remember when I first heard that, I thought it sounded um, manipulative. But my experience, <laughs> yeah, like there's something in that yeah. where you think, oh, but it's 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 not. I, I heard something um, just in the past couple of days from uh, I think it was an interview with Kim Scott, who wrote a book called Radical Radical Candor Radical Candor, which is all about. Um, basically you know leading like we're talking about leading with honesty and um and i think she talks about the the combination of personal uh personal caring with uh direct or a different word but personal caring with direct challenge and um if you can personally care for people but also bring sort of direct challenge to them she she talks about this idea of candor but she said something which met uh, candor which she said something that made me think of what you explained there which was you don't want to call it radical truth. You don't want to come in and say, I've got to tell you the truth about this feedback. It's called candor because you're just coming in and you're saying, here's what I see, tell me what you see. And that's that's been my experience for um, when I've worked with leaders who've been hesitant to come into a team and really allow collaboration, often because they're holding very tightly to a process or outcomes. And, and I've encouraged them and said, you know what, I think you'll often find that if you actually put this out there to the team, what what you come up with in this room, if um, if you facilitate it with any, if you have a team of people who are well intentioned, um, and if you have, you know, a, a, a minimal ability to facilitate, you're going to come up with the same thing, if not better. And it's amazing how often people in a team often come out with, particularly when we're talking about things like values or about things like. Uh, you know, behaviors for a team when I've done this sort of work, it's amazing how often the same things come out from the team. But my encouragement to leaders is to actually let go of, it, it's all of that process of saying, okay, um, what do you see? And and being open to hear that because that is a bit scary, but like you're saying, that 
that's where people flourish. And there's a great Patrick Lencioni saying, you know, people people won't uh, people won't buy in unless they, unless they weigh in. And you know, people have to actually have the opportunity to weigh in. Yeah. And then yeah, and then they'll good. buy in. Um, so I think there's some yeah, great, great great thoughts there. Uh, so when it comes to the hats, the hats you wear, um, I'm interested to know what because we talked about trust, we talked about honesty. Um, like I said, when when I was, uh, you know, I, I mentioned this to you about doing the podcast, Matthew. My my hope is really to, uh, you know, I believe people listening will be like me, where where they're people who are interested in leadership and want to find out more about all the different facets of leadership. So I guess this is a chance to talk about a topic of your choice around leadership that you're really passionate about. Is there anything um, that maybe you've been reading something recently? Maybe it's a topic that for the past decade has been right up there for you. Maybe it is honesty and, and we go deeper in that. Or what? what what's a, a topic, generally speaking, because leaders are people running small businesses, running uh, massive organizations in in all sorts of different roles in education, what, what would be a topic for us to spend um, a bit of time digging into that you're really passionate about? Oh, a, a, a mm, tricky one. I've got a few things spring to mind. Uh, that there's passionate and there's and there's there's challenging. <laughs> um, we probably touched on it previously on on the last bit. Uh, you know, I'm very passionate about empowering people. Mm. Um, and, and letting people grow and, and, and seeing them flourish. And maybe that's the side of me as we, we did being self-reflective, uh, touched on earlier is about caring for the person. Um, I, I'm, I'm a true believer that if you, if you empower people, let them grow, the teams will do well and will do better. Mm. And and as a leader, you can't be afraid of of other people doing well. If that doesn't reflect badly on you. Yeah, they're not going to climb over you. It's it's not that. And it and as a leader, how the team does reflects on you, not the individual. Mm. Is my belief. If you if you have one individual not doing well as a leader, you'll have that conversation of you know what what do we do with that individual you know that's a yeah. conversation you're going to have you can't avoid that and you're going to have lots of those conversations in your career <laughs> if, if the team's doing badly that will reflect you know why is your team that's the question you're going to get is why is your mm. team not performing it, it it won't it will no longer be the individual you'll you're accountable for that you know we've got the difference between responsible and accountable uh, and we you know I'm quite quite keen on that as well to differentiate between the two so if you've got individuals that you empower and they grow the team will 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 follow suit and that will reflect on you as a leader so maybe and i don't know if that's a subject or a, a, a an individual trait but that's something that i'm passionate about if, if you wanted to you know you pick on either of these you know Mm. that's something I'm passionate about. And then there's another bit for me, which is a challenge that I definitely don't have the answer to. And, I, and I'm working on is, is culture change within an organization. Yeah. Um, and, and as you talked about small companies, medium, large, you know, growth challenges within a company um, there, that's, that's a, 
an interesting topic for me as well. Um, so, yeah, Jono, you, you pick one. Pick one well, of those. Let's start with the latter because I, I actually think they're both just great. Um, <laughs> I, I'm thinking of all <laughs> these situations where I've been working with leaders where I think those two things. So if I, if I was to summarize culture change and, and growth change uh, specifically was the latter one. And the first one was about empowering people um, to be really successful and particularly to, to work together and, and, and lead a and be a successful team. Um, and, and how do you empower the people? How do you raise leaders? How do you develop leaders? How do you develop the people you're leading? That's just a, a gold mine. I think there are so many leaders who would be sitting up and going, Ooh, <laughs> I want to, I want to work out how to do that. But let's talk about growth, um, growth and culture, uh, first. So what do you see as the biggest challenge for you around culture change, particularly in a fast growth organization? Is that what you're talking about when you're saying growth change, that there's fast growth? I think, uh, I think the two can be linked and, and they can also be very separate culture change where you've got a, an embedded culture within a company, mm. you know, smaller, maybe easier, the bigger the company gets, the harder it's going to be. Um, you, you've, how do you change that? You know, how do you, to me, that's the, that's the, the tanker, mm. you know, it's, it's a, it's a long, it's a, it's not an easy turn. It's a four mile round circle. It's a, it's a, it's a real challenge. Um, yeah. and, I, I don't know the answer to this and you know I've come up against it um and you can you can try lots of things there's the hey you know uh, as somebody I work with said you know you, you bring them on the journey do you bring them on the journey and mm -hmm. do you show people but what you tend to find with an embedded culture is people believe in that culture you you know mm -hmm. change is change is hard enough it, it, anyway for people to 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 turn around and say you know what you've been doing previously is wrong and i don't believe because that, that's what they'll hear yes. um you know you're, you're you're trying to make a change when it's a change in process when it's a change in governance when it's a you know it's a, a structural change you can you can demonstrate that to people it's it's a you know it's a it's nearly tangible there is something there you can say if we do this this will be better now with culture you know, you'll turn around saying, you know, the way you behave, the way you act, the way you treat each other is wrong. Mm. That that's a that's a big ask. That really is a big ask. Um, mm. And and I would say for a an aspiring leader or somebody looking for a different role, do you want that challenge when you go somewhere else? Um, <laughs> I don't know. You know, yes or no. You may you you may relish that challenge, or you may say, look, you know. I, I see it quite often is where where people will interview for roles or look for roles and they'll think the culture of that company doesn't doesn't fit with my ideals now that's great when you've got that opportunity to, to turn turn that down now you know put yourself in that position of hey you know i've i've got to work at that culture and i need to change the culture that's that's a challenge of mine how do you do that you know that's a that's a big thing and you may be turned around saying that rarely happens but I, I'd actually say it happens more than you think as well, especially with um, acquisitions, you know, two yeah. companies, you know, they're going to collide somehow. Mm. Um, and when you go from a small company um, where, you know, when we're saying small, you know, less than 50, should we say, the CEO or the, the leadership team there know everybody by name. 
they mm -hmm. they probably interview everyone at some stage um and everyone there is pretty well hand-picked and when you the, the company scales that can't happen and there's going to come a point where they're not going to know that person mm. and they didn't have an input on that person coming on board i've, I've seen statistics around ceos uh, a good ceo probably gets a higher right 75 percent of the time mm. um, so they have a good hit rate whereas the the you know the lower down in the organization that they, they don't generally get that hit rate so yes there's a, there's a culture thing there and there's a you know a skill of the person within the company challenge as well mm. and and so say you were sitting down over coffee with uh, you know a, a young a young leader who has just taken a role given a big opportunity to come into a small business and um and they're working uh, alongside a CEO and the CEO said, I want you to help me change this culture. And they, oh, okay. And they're sitting down with you and they say, well, you know, what, what, what advice would you give them? What's maybe one of the things you might say, where do you start? <laughs> what are the levers you, you pull <laughs> any, any, um, <laughs> is it, it is such a hard area. Any, any yeah. thoughts on that? You've, you've got to define what that culture is with the CEO. Like, mm. Any culture change has to start at the top, uh, and yeah. it has to flow down. And and those those from the CE, CEO down have to buy into it as well. So yeah, you know when we talk about executive sponsorship for any changes, this is the top one. You know the CEO has to believe it. It has to come from them. They have to be. They have to set it nearly. You know yeah. they are. They can work with HR. You can work with your leadership team and get everyone's input on what the culture should be, but unless CEO believes it, it's it's, it's not going to go anywhere. And it, and it has to be, and it, literally an agenda item at your exec mm. meetings. Mm -hmm. Those in that exec meeting have to believe it, um, and you've got to recognise is is any of the the barriers to change within that executive team. Yeah, because if they are. You, you, you're not going to get, you're not going to affect it straight away, you know, mm. uh, and you have to be realistic there. So, you know, as a leader, you know, number one, you know, you define it, define mm. it, know it, believe it, be bought into it, be genuine with it. Um, make sure everybody on that exec team is at the same position as you and it is an yeah. agenda item. You know, we can talk about implementing change uh, within the company, but that would be my my number one page one of of the changing culture book i think you're i think you're 100 percent correct i think uh something a phrase that i use a lot is that you know the leader is the ceiling and um i wish it wasn't as true as i've come to believe that it is because there's so <laughs> many times i'll be chatting with a leader and they're leading up and they're describing the leader that they're leading up to and it might be a case of a leader really wanting um, a culture with more vulnerability, you know, more honesty, more um, uh, just just that real, you know, two-way communication. And they're leading up to a leader who um, may or may not have the self-awareness, but is actually embodying and creating a culture across the organization where it's top-down and where it's directive rather than two-way and there's a lack of vulnerability. And I'm, I find myself 
really stumped in these conversations when people are saying, what can I do? Uh, because my answer is often, um, you know, if this is a deal breaker for you, um, I have bad news because the lead, your leader will be the ceiling. And yeah. if your leader is not embodying that, then that's a red flag. Um, and if you can put up with that, you know, there's, there's always things that you go, well, you, you, can't be an, you can't be completely idealistic. You know, people are human beings and, and uh, you know, we all have um, weaknesses and flaws. But if there's a, if there's, so if you're, I, I completely agree. And I think that what you're saying, the reason I love it so much is if you're, if the CEO, which I've seen before, is saying, I want this type of culture, X, Y, Z, and you look at them and go, uh-oh, in your mind, uh, they they are sort of the polar opposite of that. And they and particularly um, when they may not realize that, I think that's a, that should be a big red flag. And uh, there's no easy answers for that, is there, when you are, if someone's in that situation? No. Because, um, like you said, if the leader's not on board, if the CEO is not bought in, and uh, and I, there's a great saying which is you know you don't you don't build culture, um, you can only be culture, and um, I think I think that like just just the point being that if you're the point leader, where you need to start is actually by embodying the things that you want to that you want to see. Like that's one of the best ways you can start is just actually be, you know, behave that way yourself and model it. it sounds simple, but. I think it's. I think there is something profound about that because if if your leader's not bought in, particularly if they're not aligned to that, then you got no chance. So I think you've. I think you hit the nail on the head. Um, that's that's awesome, and uh, we're getting pretty close yeah. to um, uh, to sort of the hour mark. So I'll, I'll wrap up soon, but I do want to maybe I'll give you the same question about empowerment because. Say you've got uh, a leader, and there would be many, would be my guess, who would be listening to this if they're anything like like me, and really arming and ahhing about how to how to better empower the people they're leading. Um, I, I think the frustration that I often hear is, how do I empower the people I'm leading when then when work still needs to be done? You know, there's still just the day to day work that that person is doing, but at the same time, I want to grow them. Um, and sometimes that's a real tension because I, I want to empower them to be everything they can be, but at the same time, there's a reality to they, you know, there's things they just need to tick off the list tomorrow. Uh, that's definitely one of the frustrations I hear and, 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 and a bit of confusion I hear from leaders a lot about when they're trying to empower their team. Um, but what advice would you give to a leader who says, Matthew, how do I, I really want to empower these people I'm leading, where do I start? What, what, what's one of the things I might do? It's, it's that, it's the letting go of the, of the control. You know, you've got a, however old your child is, and the first time you take the stabilizers off, you know, there's the anxiety of, of letting go of the seat and seeing if they, they're going to cycle down the road or, crash into something it, it it's not easy you know i'm not gonna mm. not gonna lie you've got to understand if you can do it first are you able to let go mm. um you know it's, it's it's part of of creating autonomy a part of that i think is you know i don't want to be cliched with you know 
it's not a blame culture. We're not pointing fingers. You have to accept that you can't blame someone if you're asking them to do it. If, 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 you're, if you're trying to empower them and you're giving them the ability to do that, then you've got to be accepting of it. And the, you know, the leadership team, whoever you report into, if you don't report into anyone, you've got to accept it. If you report into someone, they've got to accept it that you can't do all the work yourself as a leader. You know, mm. you just can't. Why, why employ people and then do that job? It's, <laughs> you know, just, it, you know, it's madness, isn't it? So, I, you know, if you, if you, if you can't let go and you need the control and you can't create autonomy, then you're going to struggle. You're going to struggle. You need to be able to do that. Um, there's nothing wrong with, with giving people, empowering people and, um, deflecting any uh, challenges they may have mm. that is stopping them getting there. So you've got to give somebody the capacity and by capacity, I mean the, 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 the room to be able to do that. Mm. Um, one thing I say to people is, you know, you know, I'm asking you to do this, any issues, you know, any issues or if there's anything you're struggling with or there's priorities, you know, come and speak to me, send people my way because I'm mm. happy to, I'm not there to be the big bad boss and say, you know, you're talking to someone more senior. I, I, I'm happy to have the conversation around. This is what we're trying to achieve. Mm. And, and and this is the, the workload we've got. And, um, and this is the reality or the expectations or what I can, I can do for you. Do, you know, I'm trying to let people see what we're doing instead of saying, you know, hand up saying, no, it can't be done. Um, you know, sorry, that that's not what I want to do, and mm. that, that's a, maybe it's a leadership style. Maybe I'm on the, the leadership end of the rather than the versus the management style. But again, that's the getting people to to buy into what what you're trying to deliver. So you know, empowering people is you've got to let them. You've got to understand if they're doing it or not. You know, don't get me wrong. You've still got to <laughs> you still got to understand. Empowering is still a task should we say they've got to deliver if you're in yeah. parents i would say hey go away and do that they've still got to deliver that piece of work whatever that you know that that involves if it's mm. look i want you to you know run this team or i want you to manage these people or i want you to take a, a a greater role within this i want you to make decisions it's all something you're asking us to do you know it's good saying yeah. empowering and we can give lip service to it but there is there is still an output, and I don't want to say measure, but there is still an output you will want from empowering that person or that team. How do you How do you take the training wheels off? How do you How do you let go? Say someone's listening and they go, "I want to let go," but I've been I've gotten feedback now for a while that I'm I'm struggling to let go, and people are saying you need to let go more. How, you know, how do you actually do that? How do you do you know it sounds a bit like a silly question but i i do feel like it can be a yeah. challenge to actually know how to take the training wheels off i suppose you've got to be to a degree self self-reflective what is stopping you doing that is it is mm. it you as a is that your management style you just cannot do that you're you you know i have a saying somebody with a long screwdriver you know that 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 detached but they're still trying to get involved trying to and it's like you know, please do not you know let the people do the work that are that are tasked with doing that work is you know that's part of being self-reflective is, is it a personal trait or is it that 
the the people you're trying to empower you still haven't built enough trust mm. they haven't demonstrated the capabilities uh, it's no good empowering people just for just to say you've empowered people just for the sake of it the people that you're empowering at some stage have to have demonstrated those qualities those skills what you're looking for uh, otherwise you wouldn't be thinking you're going to do it and then part of the leadership skill is you've you've recognized that and you've seen somebody mm. that can do that um otherwise it's it's not a task for you um you know part of stepping up from being uh to, to be in you know your first team lead role or your first management role um a lot of the time companies will do it because someone's very good at their job you know they're very good at you know you know whatever that part of their job they're very technical or they're very good at sales or um, they're a people person or whatever yeah what the what you need to recognize in this example of empowering of you know running a team or, or leading people is have they demonstrated those leadership qualities those management management qualities um are they the sort of person that that is uh, it can work autonomously do, do they bring things to you do they you know do they do they work independently or do you have to continually check their what they're doing ask for updates manage where they are do they, do they come to you you know so there's, there's a bit of as i said there's self-reflective is it you stopping it happening you know if, mm. is it, do you not have it in your makeup or is it is it actually you do have it and you could do it but the people that work for you you don't feel they're they're ready for it yet and if they're not ready for it or they haven't demonstrated it then you need to put something in place that that's going to create that what do you need to see from them I, I wouldn't tell people I'm trying to empower you. You know, you set them tasks um, that you hope that they'll pick up or they'll recognize as an opportunity and they'll want to impress you or they'll mm. want to deliver it or it is something they actually want to do. Um, if yes. they don't, then it's, it's maybe not time for them or whatever. Yeah, I think that's, that's really interesting. Self-reflect on why it's challenging for you to let go. Uh, and look at your team and ask yourself, have I, you know, are they displaying the traits to be able to do this? I love what you said about um, people getting promoted because they're good at their job, not necessarily because they're uh, good at, they, they're showing the traits to be a good manager or leader. And um, yeah, that's, that's, that's gold. I, I definitely think that's, and I think I've caught myself doing that before as well. You see someone who's great at a job and you go, wow, imagine them uh, in a leadership role and you go, wait a second, <laughs> why am I assuming just because they're amazing at that, that they would then be uh, incredible when they're at a strategic level or when they're, you know, there's, there's, um, there's a good chance that some of the characteristics will cross over, but there's also a good chance that, um, that the very thing that makes them so good at their job can sometimes be a bit of a challenge or a weakness when you when you get into yeah. management or leadership um, leadership role. Um, and the I guess just as a bit of a, a bit of a plug, uh, I am I'm actually working on my next book at the moment, which is about this this topic. It wasn't really the plan to uh, to bring this up, but because we're talking about it so directly, I'm I'm working on a book that the working title, although I'm pretty sure this is what it will be is called Replace Yourself, 
And the whole idea is about viewing empowerment, empowering your people as trying to raise up leaders around you. Like the, the real idea is to have a team of people where if you were promoted, if you got an opportunity to go somewhere else or to take another opportunity, there'd be three people on your team who could step up and replace you. And actually, and actually raising up and empowering and lifting the ceiling of the leaders in your team. And um, it was great because I was just thinking about some of the things I'm working on in the book around how do you identify who could replace you. And that's exactly what you were saying. How are, are you looking for the traits? Um, and then having intentional conversations with people about what you see in them. Uh, and, then, and then just practically, I think there is a really practical element of... Um, of showing people and and um, and and actually letting them watch you do certain things, and there's a, there's a great square of of uh, the of leadership delegation. I can't remember the exact phrase they use. I didn't come up with it, but it's it's a it's a square, and it starts on the top left with I watch, uh, sorry, you watch, I do, and then the top right it moves around to. If you imagine a square from the top left to the top right, is uh, is you you help, I do. So I'm still doing it, but now you've gone from watching to helping. And the bottom right is where it flips. So instead of just, instead of me doing it and you helping me, that's where I, I'm i now helping you and you're the one doing it. And then the bottom left is where you want to get to, which is where you're doing it. And I'm I'm watching in terms of I've stood back now and I'm just helping, I'm just holding you accountable for it. And um, I love that, uh, that sort of square of, uh, delegation because I think sometimes we we think about these things as too black or white either we are or we aren't and it's like well no there is it's sometimes it's helpful to think there's a process maybe there is something in your leadership that the people in your team aren't ready to do but you could invite them to watch how you do it and actually and actually just have conversations with them around that because that's a great starting point to then that is a form of empowerment because you're starting to get them to notice something they might not have otherwise picked up on. So that's um, that I'm really passionate about that topic, and and I've certainly found your insights uh, really valuable around that, Matthew. So that, thank you for um, thank you for sharing those thoughts about empowerment and that's about. Um, I know we I know I could hear there was a lot deeper we could have gone into culture change, but thank you for. Um, for uh, starting the conversation about about culture change, that was that was great too, and and uh, we'll we'll uh, we'll finish there for for today. But I just want to thank you for coming on, and thank you for for being uh, such an open book and telling your story, and um, going from banking and and um, <laughs> that fantastic story <laughs> of the of the um, shutting down a floor. That uh, that was just a real a real highlight because I think we've all got. Um, that's what I enjoy about doing these sort of conversations is the the human aspect of of leaders and that's just a gold you know really gold story. Um, and uh, but it's been a pleasure getting your insights as well. I think there was some really rich uh, thoughts about empowering people about high performance teams about um, about how to actually let go and 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 focus on growing people and. And also the story you shared about, I think it was Tom, yeah, and uh, I really enjoyed that and, and how you focused on caring, caring for people and, and what that means to actually care more about them and wanting someone to be happy somewhere else rather than miserable. 
uh, working for you. That that line probably stands out uh, even the most from from our conversation today. So thank you so much for for coming on as a guest. Thank you, John. Thanks for having me. No worries. And uh, uh, that's the end of another episode of Leadership Conversations podcast. Make sure you look out for more episodes that'll be that'll be coming soon. And as always, it's really helpful for us uh, to be able to invest in more leaders. If you can follow, subscribe, like, share wherever you're wherever you're listening to this, that helps us to get the word out so we can invest in more leaders to become the very best they can be. I'll talk to you all next time. Well, I hope today's leadership question has helped you in your leadership and put a stone in your shoe. That's what, I, that's what I love to say is that my role, I believe, working with leaders is about putting a stone in your shoe. So something you were really comfortable with, now you're walking a little bit uncomfortably going, mm, is there a better way to do this? How do I handle this? And uh, that's because no growth is comfortable. So uh, I hope that's okay. I appreciate you taking the time. I don't take it lightly. And if you are just joining us, then make sure you check out our website, consultclarity.org, consultclarity.org. We have so much free content on there for you, including the seven questions on leadership series. So more than 1,500 leaders around the world, different roles, different sectors have filled out the seven questions on leadership in-depth answers on how they lead, what they've found most challenging, how they structure their time, what book or books have been most significant for them. There is so much gold on there. You could go and, and basically live in that part of our website for a few weeks, I think. Uh, so make sure you go and check that out. It's free. And hey, we would love to interview you for our uh, seven questions on leadership series. Your leadership based on your uh, you know, your context, your life, and your experience, I believe that you can bring something that other leaders can learn from. I, I truly do. And so it's completely free to get involved. It's a great way to give back if you're loving this content. And you can do that by going to consultclarity.org forward slash seven dash questions dash interest, or just Google consultclarity.org seven questions interest, and then click on the page fill out the form to express your interest and we can get you going to fill out the seven questions on leadership. We also have a free resource on our website. It's right at the top, consultclarity.org on our homepage and it's called the Leadership Survival Guide. It's a 57-page ebook with interviews uh, from 10 world-class leaders and it's right there for you to download. It's completely free and awesome resource. It's very popular, so check that out. We also have a daily email and I know that our more than 15,000 leaders who subscribe get a lot of value from that. We highlight the best content from our blogs, from our podcasts, uh, from our books and books we're reading. It also gives you exclusive and limited access and early access to our masterclasses and workshops. So uh, I really try to make it something as helpful and as valuable as possible. That's my commitment. And so go to consultclarity.org forward slash subscribe if you're interested in all things leadership and you can become part of that community. 
Now, my gift to you with everything we're doing, particularly with this podcast, the leadership question of the day, is to work really hard to provide uh, the best leadership content to invest in you and your leadership. Your gift to me would be this. If you're finding this helpful, if this helps you in your leadership, then there is something you can do that makes a massive difference, and that is to write a review or rate our content. Wherever you're listening or watching, rate our content, write a review, make sure you subscribe or follow. It might seem small to you to do that, but it adds up and it helps us to help more leaders become the best they can be. It also means a lot to me personally whenever I see you sharing our content, so thank you so much for that. If you do share it on social media, then look for me, John O'White, and try to tag me and look for clarity and tag us. And I promise we are always looking for content shared by our community. When people share our content, we're looking to engage with you. And we, you know, there's also a chance that we may actually share what you write uh, as, a, as a post with our, with our followers. So if you do that, there's a chance you'll be shared as well. Last of all, you can check out my book called Step Up or Step Out, How to Deal with Difficult People Even If You Hate Conflict. I wrote this book because more than 50% of the leaders I coach, 50% of the sessions, sorry, where I coach leaders, this comes up again and again and again. And it's leaders saying, Jono, how do I deal with this difficult person? Or how do I deal with this person? And I'm finding it so difficult. We're just on a different wavelength. And that's because difficult conversations are uh, difficult. And I find this is one of the biggest challenges for leaders in the world today. And that's where Step Up or Step Out is a three-step process to help you deal well with difficult people. Uh, I really believe it's a book that can help you in your leadership. So go and check that out. It's on Amazon, Step Up or Step Out, John O'White, uh, if you just look that up. Or go to store.consultclarity.org forward slash book and you can get it there. Well, thank you so much for listening. We're going to be back with a new episode of the Leadership Question of the Day next time. I hope today has helped you take another step towards becoming everything you're meant to be. We'll see you next time.